That is pretty spectacular, isn't it? Just amazing. And you know what I was thinking? Two, two years ago, when we were here for the first time, Nancy and Daniel, you guys wave so they know which, one you are, which two you are. You, they're, um, they wanted me to post a picture of their oldest son uh, to this talk to say, if you see him running around in, in harm's way, please feel free to stop and intervene. Because uh, he's kind of a, he's our wild child. Actually, Daniel wrote a song about him called Wild Child. But as Missy's talking, I just thought, we, we've had the joy of, you know, seeing that tra- transformation. But it is amazing that uh, the children are the inroads to so many places that are closed to us in this world that, that, it, that leads, leads right in. So, um, you're looking at me funny. Am I Okay. <laughs> My wife's looking at me like I did something wrong. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll come back. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> she, missed, she missed dinner tonight. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the wiggly one. Okay, somebody help me. The, um, uh, oh, here, right here, I got it, right here. Missy, what you just said actually fits perfectly with uh, Ephesians 2 we're going to do tonight. Uh, and just t- take, take some time to, to work on that, which is pretty cool. Um, because Ephesians 2 is actually kind of the, the perfect example of God bringing people far away, near, near to his heart. And uh, how many of you were here this morning? Lot, did most of you see the Charles Blackwell video I showed this morning? It was pretty powerful, wasn't it? Um, the, um, I wanted just to, just to finish part of that story for you because I needed to confess something. Because one of the things that I, I really want you to do is I want you to know that God is moving in you. God's directing you along the way. And I, I want you to know that God doesn't need your motives to be perfect. Didn't need John and Missy's motives to be perfect for adopting kids or for you to start a ministry or for you to step out in faith. God doesn't need us to have all the right spirit about things. So 10 years ago, Craig Mays, who's the director of the New York City Rescue Mission, and actually um, for the last three or four years has been the president of rescue missions across America, kind of the president of the whole thing. He felt this call to go to New York City because his son was a, a, a fledgling actor there, was not walking with Christ. I think they, they felt a call to New York City. They had never been there. And so we, as a church, launched them. And we launched them, uh, a group of about 30 people went there to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was by far our most expensive church plant. And uh, within the first year, everybody that went with Craig and Chris, except for two couples, had given up because it's too hard to make it in New York. Frank Sinatra was right. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. But most people can't. And so there's this revolving door that people go through. And so it was at a time at at Kensington when we had started a bunch of campuses and launched a bunch of new churches and money was tight. Nobody in our staff had had a raise for, we went from 07 to almost to 14 where no one ever got a raise. And we started three new campuses and planted 20 churches. and, And yet... I, I thought if we hadn't started Communitas in New York, we could have started 10 churches in the Midwest. It was really frustrating, and I just, I felt like it was such a waste. And I kind of shared that with Craig. I think he felt like he, that he had failed along the way. 
But he and his wife stuck it out with, with this team of like 30 or 40 people. And even though the church was mostly a, a ragtag group of people, they developed this reputation for caring for homeless people and marginalized people and poor people in New York City. So even though they were this tiny little band of nobodies, they developed this reputation that they cared about people. So three or four nights a week, they're out delivering food bags, dinner, lunch bags to homeless people all over Manhattan, especially all over the subway system, Times Square. Because if you've been in New York recently, you, if you walk to Times Square at midnight, you're going to find a homeless person sleeping kind of in the inner door of every single business. If you, if you, I mean, they're just everywhere. And so about five years into it, even though the church was just kind of going nowhere, um, Craig got hired as the director of New York City Rescue Mission. And so all of a sudden, he's filming studies and doing videos and, that are being produced by Susan Sarandon, and he's meeting with the president of NBC, and he's hanging out with all the, the rich and famous for lunch, and then for dinner, he's hanging out with people who are like your daughter. They smell so bad, you don't want to get near them. So he's living this completely whacked out life, you know, up, down, the whole thing. And so I, I'm kind of wondering, what is God doing with this? Well, what I didn't realize is that, I, 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 in fact, if you ask me, it's been 10 years from now. He came to me after the first year and said, man, I, I should have come to New York 10 years ago because I don't know how to act like a New Yorker. And, you know, I still step back and let people get on the subway in front of me. You don't do that if you're a New Yorker. You know, it's wrong. It's a sin. And so here I am today, 10 years later, and I still think about all that money. But I was thinking today as I was watching that video, because I just I watched it earlier this morning because we showed it at church this weekend, uh, just y yesterday. I thought maybe all of that money and all of that craziness and all of those people moving and everything that took place was simply for Charles, simply for Charles Blackwell. What if God's calling you to do something crazy, you know, start, starting your church or working with people, you know, whatever it is, and maybe it's just for one person. And that's more than enough. And, and the thing about that was so great is that years ago, when we started working in India, I was, we were working with an indigenous church planner there, and I took Craig with me. He asked if he could go on that first trip. And Craig, uh, I, I'm working on, I'm totally excited because there's a church planning movement, and we've, we've helped start 500 churches in eastern Andhra Pradesh since uh, Nancy uh, was... It was 2000. Yeah, it was because it was before 9-11. Before it was December of 2000. And uh, I was so excited about all the church planning. And, but Jai had 50 orphans. And all Craig cared about was orphans. I'm like, Craig, would you stop caring for the orphans? Let's get serious about church planting, for crying out loud. So he comes back. He takes a picture of every orphan. And he comes back to our church. And he puts them up in the lobby. And he wants everybody to... You know, he wants, and of course, what happens on the first Sunday? All 50 orphans get picked instantly, right, by people like you, because you care about people, unlike me, doesn't care about people. And so that started, again, I'm just telling you these, because you don't know where something starts, where it's going to end. So Craig, by doing that, starts an adoption movement, global adoption movement for our church. That now I think we have 1,400 kids with our indigenous church planting partners because that's part of the mark of like a church planting movement is because the Christians care for the 
ones that nobody else wants. Anyway, I was just thinking of all that. You just, I wanted you to hear that and see that not because it makes any sense, but because it's how God works. And you're Craig Mace, or you're Charles Blackwell, or you're whatever it is that God's calling you to do. Okay, enough of that. So, I don't know about you, but I had a phenomenal day again, watching my grandkids. This is, I'm really depressed because they're going to make us leave Friday morning. <laughs> but I want to I just continue with you on Ephesians chapter 2 tonight, uh, because this is, this is so exciting. Because we talked about, if you've been sticking with me, we talked about you have everything you need. All your debts are paid. Your identity is, is certain and you're rich in Christ. And then we talked about this morning about the power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you by his Holy Spirit. So there's nothing stopping you. The dynamism that's changed Charles Blackwell is the same spiritual dynamism that's living in you. And now in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, this is the mission that Jesus is on for the whole world. And he's inviting us into it. So let's look at it. This full-blown mission. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We talked about that this morning. That's where we live. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so as you look at this, I just want you to know that this is Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission as he came to give his power to to adopt us in his family, it was to turn dead people back to life. It's, really, it's as simple as that. Dead people back to life. He took you as a dead person, uh, and he brought you back to life. You're not any different than Charles Blackwell. You haven't done crack, probably, for 30 years. You haven't panhandled a million dollars in the Port Authority. Think about that. Talk about hard work. But you're the same person that Charles Blackwell is. You needed to be redeemed. You were dead. You couldn't be raised to life. And there are a couple things that I saw about this that I've never seen before as I was studying this. First one is this. The word dead, necros, is really uh, used in the New Testament to talk about being spiritually dead. And it sounds redundant, but I'm just going to read it to you. It's being destitute of a life that recognizes or is devoted to God. In other words, it's, there, it's, it's a sense in the spiritual term, it's like you cannot respond to God. It's you, you have people in your life that you talk to and you engage with and you say, man, do you, do you realize that God loves you? And people say, I just, it's almost like at a certain point with people, there's a block to them having any engagement with God. And those people are everywhere in our culture. They're growing, by the way. Kids, are, kids this generation of kids has been so hurt by, by what they've kind of been fed or whatever, is that they just think, they're dead to the idea that God could love them. There's another part of this deadness, which is this, is you're destitute of force or power. There's, no, there's nothing in you. You are, you're inanimate. There's nothing, you're inactive, inoperative. There's nothing 
coming out of your life. So Jesus, that's how he saw us. And then it says, when he saw us dead, it says he made us alive with Christ. This is a really crazy word, poeo. It means to make one alive together. And I thought this was cool because what it, what it means, let me explain to you. It, the making alive, making us alive means that our deadness had to be paired with something that was alive. Does that make sense? And because, this doesn't work in any, I don't think this works in science, but for us, in salvation history, it works. You take something that's dead and you put it next to something that's alive, Jesus Christ. And then what is dead becomes alive. And you saw it at the end of that video where Charles is talking to different people in the, in the rescue mission and they're dead. You can see it in their eyes and in their heart. And then, and then Charles reaches over and touches them or speaks something into them. And what happens? It's like the life of the person that's alive touches the, the deadness of the person they're connecting. And all of a sudden, life gets transformed like, it, like an electric jolt. So that's what Jesus Christ is calling us to do and to be, to be like this electric jolt that comes into people that are dead. So literally with Christ, our deadness has to be attached to his lifeness. It's not a word, but I can still use it. You know, what's the worst that's going to happen? They'll never invite me back. So without Christ, we're dead. And there's nothing else in heaven or on earth and all the universe that can bring us back to life. And yet he makes us alive together with him. We're raised up. We're made to sit in heaven in places. I don't have time to teach all these. And, 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 but I, I do have time for this. If you were here this morning, you're going to enjoy this, I promise you. Unless you had too much cheesecake. To show us the exceeding riches of his grace. Okay, this, this is what I want you to hear. This is really cool. So does anybody remember this morning, Uber, Uber, Uber Ballo Megathos? The exceeding greatness, like the greatness, greatness, the mighty might of God that demonstrated his power in us. Paul uses the same word again, uberbalo, only this time he uses it with the word riches. Uberbalo plutos, the over-exceeding abundance of his grace. So as God's power is megathos, overwhelming, uberbalo, if some of you were in here this morning, this is the, this is the Uncle Rico power of God. It's the it's, you can, in the Napoleon, Napoleon Dynamite, you could throw the football over the mountain. It's over the top. Now, it's not only his power is over the top, his grace is over the top. His rich, the word plutos is riches, wealth, and abundance. But there's another word I found that it's sometimes translated as, it's the word fullness. Because I thought, sometimes riches and wealth are never enough. Is there anybody in here that has enough? Like you just, you've decided you don't need any more riches or wealth. Anybody? Probably not. I, had, I haven't made that decision. I would like more riches and wealth. You want to cast cash on the, on, the, on the stage? Feel free. But here's what God's talking about. God is saying, no, no. The riches that I give in overabundance bring a fullness. Like it's enough. It's actually, it's actually enough that God can bring to me. Because I think that's what people can't get enough of. People cannot get enough unless they get Christ. Over the top, soul satisfying grace. Okay, so let me, let me just in introduce where, our, uh, where, where, where we're going here. Two weeks ago, I was in the trans sky. 
Aaron, did you get that email? I just sent you an email a couple minutes ago with a map of the trans sky. I don't know if you could pull that up or not. How many people here have ever even heard the word trans sky? It's a place in South Africa. If you have, raise your hand. Can I see a show of hands? Okay, nobody there. Nobody. One person, one person in the back. Isn't that amazing? It's because uh, I'd never heard of it either. I'd heard of uh, a, a place next to it where Nelson Mandela grew up. But here's what happened. Uh, Aaron, just yell at me if you find that map on, on the email. Transkei is a um, state. It's, oh, oh, here it is. So it's one of the states in South Africa that was created during apartheid. So you can, you can see Johannesburg is up towards the right of this map. You know, South Africa is a lot bigger than this. This is obviously the southern, the southern ocean that comes down uh, along the way. And you have Lesotho, and you have Mtata, and you have Kosa. And the Kosa area... There are a couple of states there that were created by the apartheid government basically as black reservations, just like, just like we created Indian reservations in America. And the reason they call it Transkei is because it's in the, this is the whole Eastern Cape area, and where, where you see the kind of the mustard color where it says Kosa X, XHOSA, it, the, the Kai River kind of runs along that side, separates it from Africa. So trans across the Kai River. And that's where the Kosa fought, fought the Dutch, they fought the English. They were a very powerful group. They were right next to the Zulu people. And so, but in apartheid, they were separated and isolated. So we were there for eight days, never saw one white person for eight days. We were in probably 10 villages. No, they just removed them, got them out. They didn't give them any industry. They didn't give him really any opportunity. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. Look, at, look it up on Google. Just look at some of the images that are near the ocean. But it's basically a destitute. And here's, here's the worst part. Because of the way they created it, the way apartheid was structured, for men to get a job, they had to move to Johannesburg or to the Kimberley Diamond Mines or to Durban or to Cape Town. They had to go somewhere to get a job, which meant that they had a family in Transkei that they saw once a year for a week or for two weeks, or maybe if they were really lucky for a month. So what happened is all of the guys that went, went away, they, they got a family in another part of South Africa. And then they would send money, hopefully, to their family back in the Transkei. And so what do you think this is a formula for? It's a, it's a formula just for devastation. But what hit me was, is... We, when you go to Transkei, you're looking at the direct result of, of Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. People following the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who works at disobedient, and all of us lived at gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And so you see it on a personal level, and then you see it on a, a global level. You see it where... Literally, decisions were made politically to destroy people groups. And so, you know, I watched this happen from a distance. You know, I was always, you know, growing up as a kid, a lot of us watching what was happening in South Africa. But here's the thing that was incredible to me. I'm in Transkei, and on the sixth or seventh night, I'm invited to speak. We were invited, this little mission group of guys were, to speak at a church. And so I took a couple of videos. The first one, it just started so awkward because when you go to another culture or Kosa people, you actually say the word Kosa, you're supposed to say a click. Nancy could do it. 
You're supposed to click your tongue when you say, well, I can't do it, whatever. And to go into a people group you don't know anything about, you don't understand, and you're supposed to just preach. You're like, so what do you preach? How do you connect? Like with you guys, I know you guys. You guys live my life. We, there's a lot of similarities in our life. This is completely foreign. It's completely other. And so I show up, and it's, uh, it's not Sunday. It's a Thursday night, and we think they're just having the service for us. And we walk in. It's six women singing. That's it. There's eight of us. Can you, can you show it? Aaron, let me just see. It's just like a nine-second clip. Okay, can you spell awkward? We're just standing there. There's more of us than them. We've come over traveling to this place. You guys are naughty. You've been in these situations probably. So you come in, you just feel completely awkward. You're wondering what in the world is happening because they're, they're from a completely different place. So I decide I'm going to preach Ephesians 2. I just thought, because I know where Ephesians 2 is ending. You don't know. Maybe some of you, you know we're going to end in about 15 minutes. You're going to, you're going to know where we are. So I, get, I talk about all of us being in the same ground before the foot of the cross. We were all lost. We were all dead. Jesus made us alive. And then I get to verse 8, verse 8 through 10, where it talks about Jesus came to transform and empower us by his grace. And, and you know this. I bet you this would be one of the most familiar scriptures to a lot of us. For it is by grace. In fact, let's read this out loud together. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not so that no one, for we are God's handiwork to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So at this moment, as I'm preaching to them, I'm doing the good work of, I'm the designated pastor on this mission group, so I know I've got to speak. And so I'm talking about God's grace because I believe it's true. I believe in the, the grace through faith, the charis diapistis. In other words, God's grace expressed through faith. It's a gift and it's a response. It's a result of salvation. It's impossible to get your head around it. In fact, I was just thinking about, for you mothers and fathers, you say, people say, well, Steve, when did you understand God's grace? I understood it when I was four years old. You know why? I grew up in a church that had the worst music in the history of Christianity. <laughs> and we would sing and it was terrible. And I tell you, there are some women that sang that are still alive, so I can't say their names out loud. They are great women of God. They love Jesus. So give them that. But every Sunday, and this was back when I was four or five-year-old, we'd be in the church service. And I would stand next to my father, and this awful music and singing is going on. And I look at my father. And the tears every Sunday would stream down his face. And I thought, is he crying because the music's bad? <laughs> and I realized, no, he's crying because we're singing songs about God's love and grace. And every Sunday, he was pointing, where I cannot understand that God would do, like it doesn't make any sense that God would do this for us. And so that's when I really began to understand grace. It's like, I saw it in my dad's tears. My dad was a tough and powerful man. We'd sing a song about, about amazing grace or how great thou art or some other great hymn, and, God, and his tears would just flow. Grace through faith. It's like the birth of your first child. All you can do is hold her and shake your head. And here's cool. 
Uh, how many of you are not grandparents yet? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, look at that. That's awesome. Even better is the birth of your first grandchild. Like your kids, they're dead to you after that. You don't even care. Because when you hold your first grandkid, there's this love and delight. And I'll tell you how it's different with your grandchildren. With your grandchildren, do you know what's been rinsed clean? The need for greatness or the need for competition or the need to get them in the right schools. When you're, you hold your first grandchild, you, don't, you, you wouldn't care if she had two heads. I'm not kidding you. You wouldn't care because who she is or who he is is absolutely the greatest thing in the world. I don't know, that, I don't know what happens to grandparents, but if something changes in your brain, this is the delight of grace. You just, it's, it's a total gift of grace, and you just receive it as a gift. That's what salvation's like. The other word that I love here that we, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but is the, the handiwork, the poema. It's like, you've heard this before probably. You're God's work. You're his poem. You're his masterpiece. When God looks at you, he says, wow. You know why he says, wow? Because there are things that you can do for the, in the kingdom of God in the time that's left to you that no one else can do. I can't do it. The person next to you can't do it. Only you can do what it is that God's created you to do and to be. So you've got to do it. You've got to go for it. If, you're gonna, if you wake up at 3 o'clock this morning, this next coming morning, and God's nudging you to do something, I'm telling you, you've got to do it. You've got to listen. You've got to step out. You've got to be willing to risk and be a fool. You've got to be willing to be chubby Andrews and you, you know, leave your practice and go to Kenya for a year and run a hospital or be John, Johnny Missy. Or maybe it's just to befriend your neighbor. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's what God is nudging in you. That's what matters. What is epic? Whatever it is that God's telling you to do. I don't care if it affects one person or a million people. It doesn't matter. It's what God is doing in you. That's epic because the Holy Spirit is alive in you. Okay. Now we just get to the last section because this, this is the amazing part. So I'm with this, this group, and this is the reason I taught Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 11, begins this way. It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. The, the map, the Transkai map, you remember what it just showed? I thought they were a living illustration of this passage. You were excluded from citizenship in South Africa. You were marginalized and isolated. You were given, in a sense, most of your natural resources were taken away from you by others, and you were left simply to live in a place where there was very little left. You were excluded from the rest of Africa and from the rest of the world. On a spiritual level, however, God was still breaking through. God was still bringing Dutch missionaries People bringing, you know, Baptists, people coming to bring the gospel there. And then, so there's a, there's a strong Christian witness in there, despite what Europeans and Westerners did to them. But here's what I want you to understand. When you, if you go back to Paul, if Paul is saying, remember that you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, he's talking to them. Those people knew what Jewish people thought about them. They despised them. They're, you're not even human. Compared to a Jew, you have really no value. 
within the context of God's spiritual plan. To be uncircumcised is like you're a barbarian, you're worthless, you're valueless. It's all the, the, the valueless things. You would say the word Gentile with spit coming out of your mouth. Worthless, derision. And Paul, again, he's riffing. He says you're without Christ, without citizenship. You're a hated illegal. You're a worthless illegal alien in this world. In this word, crazy in this, it's a polytrio. It's to be shut out of another's fellowship and intimacy. It's basically be said, I'm shutting you out. This is what Jesus Christ came to change. No rights as a citizen without hope and without God. And I thought, certainly apartheid South Africa is one of the greatest, worst visions of this, this, this separation. Those who are far and those who are near. So that's how that church service, that thing started. But it started to warm up. Back, back in Lusikisiki, Transkite, started to warm up. I thought, first of all, I don't know how anybody found where we were going. It was crazy. But they started showing up. Maybe it was African time. They were coming and they were starting to work their way in along the way. If you've been there, you know it sometimes takes people time to get there. And it was a Thursday night. It was very awkward. But it started to warm up a little bit. And so here's the second video. It's another like 10 second clip. And by the way, this pastor's unbelievable. Hallelujah. I could go, you want to come watch, I mean, he, he was awesome. I mean, he could, be, he could be on television in America. I mean, he's just an amazing guy. And so, all of a sudden, they started bringing chairs in, and this little room is starting to jam, and you realize they were, all the men were outside looking in, peeking in, because they couldn't get in, the women were sitting, and eventually there were about 75 or 80 people jammed into this little house. And it started to be fun. So we get to Ephesians 2.13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Like, and I said to them, I said, you know what? I've come from a long ways to be with you. I was far away. I've, I've come near. You were near. You've, we, we've come together. And we're one in Christ. We're white. We're black. But we, are, we belong. Jesus sees us exactly the same. And we start to have this. We're starting to have Church. And I thought about this great distance. You think, what does it mean to be far away? Well, Luke 15, 20 explains it. Look at this. Remember the prodigal son? He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Where's the far away? Still a long way off. That maybe is the most beautiful story in the whole New Testament. Because what do we know about the father? He's watching for him. How do you see someone far away? Unless you're looking for them. Some of us have children that have wandered far away. I don't know if there's anything worse than moments where your kids have wandered away and you don't, and you don't know what the result's going to be. Is there anything that breaks you, breaks you more than that? This is what God the Father knows and understands. This is the far away that Jesus Christ came to change and that's what Paul is saying. In Christ Jesus, you were far away and been brought near. And it, and it all happened because of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection. And so the son, 
He's still a long way off. His father sees him. It's amazing. To be brought near is really an interesting phrase, by the way. It says, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know what that means? It means, it means you were made to be near. You weren't near. It isn't like you were brought near. It's like, you no, like now you're near. I, I, I don't know if I can explain this, but it's now you have a place and a position. It's like the father seeing the son and saying, put, put the robe on him, put the ringer, you know, the ring, kill the fatty calf, do all of this. It's to bring something into existence that didn't exist before. Like you were far away, now your new existence is you're near. Like your, your, your reality was you were nobody, you didn't belong, here's your true reality. You always belong, here you are. He goes on to say, for he himself is our peace, who's made the two groups one. That's what I was saying to this little church in Lusikisiki. Like people in, in, in the Midwest of the United States of America couldn't be farther from people in Transcott. I didn't even know you existed. Nobody in this room except for one person even knew there were coasts of people living in the Transcott. Nobody in this room even knows their story. How far, much farther away could you be? I didn't know it either. But what does Jesus do? Jesus brings us together. Who are the people that are far away that Jesus is calling you to bring near, to speak that reality in existence? You bring them near. Don't wait for somebody else. Don't wait for, don't, don't ever let us go, well, we would let John and Missy do it. No. We are in the business because the Holy Spirit lives in us by power that we're, we're bringing near. And you know what I know about you? I know you're doing this already. I just would say, be praying and more, more and more open than you've ever been in your life to where God is calling you to bring into existence people that are far away to bring them near to Christ. He goes on to say that he destroyed the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. I'm preaching this and I thought, there are two humanities in this room, in this church, and we couldn't be more different. We don't, we don't speak the same language. There's one guy that knew, knew English. There was another woman that would, read scripture in Kosa. It was pretty good because I'd tell a joke and she'd be the only one that would laugh. Maybe the others understood English. They just didn't think it was funny. I don't know. <laughs> but that was all. And the rest couldn't believe what was, I, I didn't realize that they couldn't believe what was happening. They didn't, couldn't believe what was happening in the room. But it was a new, one new humanity out of two. Ken Hughes in his commentary on Ephesians calls this the third humanity. Jesus came to create a third humanity, which is all of us together in Christ. And to reconcile all of us, those far and those near to God through the cross. And, and here's what, here's the cool, verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. In other words, those far away and those near both needed the same thing. Like the, the really far people from God, they need the exact same thing that people near, that thought they were near to God. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. There's just some cool words out of there, but it's the whole idea of both of two, <laughs> this coming together to make two, he says both of two, both one and the other, bringing both one and the other together by the same spirit. And so I'm living this two weeks ago in the trans sky because 
here's how, here's how, how it ended. A couple things happened. Got just two more short videos. Here, here's, this is when we, start, we got warmed up. Let's see how it's going. Look at the faces of the guys that are with me. Okay. Every guy that was with me. We, we, kinda did, we didn't know if we were mailing this in, like they were going to have a church service to be nice to us, whatever. The seven guys that were with me all said the same thing. These are guys, a lot of them have been Christians, served with me at Kensington for 20 years. They said that was the best worship, Jesus, church experience of their whole life. Because why? Because it was a living example of God take, taking the two that were completely isolated and bringing them together as one. This is what Jesus Christ wants to do. You guys realize there are 7,000 different languages currently being spoken on planet Earth? If you go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., they've got them all listed, and they've got empty slots for all the ones that don't have any translation in them. That's a big passion of Gold Lake, by the way. But it's what? Is that every tribe, tongue, and nation would come together as one. And you know what I, you know what I love about all those languages and all those cultures? Is we have something to learn from every single one. We need them. We need to understand and see their life and see their world. And so as we're finishing this, I'm starting to experience the, the end of Ephesians 2. And I'm done after I share this. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. That's what we were to each other. That's what you and I are. But as, as we come to Go Lake and all of a sudden we're starting to be friends and our kids are starting and grandkids are starting to interact, you realize we're not foreigners and strangers. We're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And this you too part is plural. You, you too, all of us, we're being built to become this dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This word cornerstone is fascinating. The cornerstone is the stone you put in at the corner of the building, obviously, that holds the two walls together. The two walls don't stay together if the cornerstone's not right. That's Jesus. You can't bring and two become one without a cornerstone that holds it all together. That's what we have that, know what, that, that other people outside of Christ don't have. We have what makes sense, what, what brings people together. What brings Kosa people and people from Michigan together? Because as the cornerstone holds together the two walls, so Jesus joins together us as believers into one body dedicated to him. Those who were formerly Jews and Gentiles. God can even bring people from Michigan and Ohio together in unity and faith. It can happen. It's possible. And here's the, here's the cool part. 1 Peter 2, he echoes the exact, it's almost like he and Paul are reading the exact same script. Look what he says. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
You know what? I don't know about you, but when I go into places in the world, John, I bet you guys have felt this. You step into crazy situations, you wonder, am I going to be put to shame here? Like, am I going to blow it so bad and be so stupid and so out of God's will? Have you ever thought that? And yet that's exactly where God wants you to be. So the end of the story in Lusiki Siki, here's what I didn't know. I'm going to show you a nine-second clip. I don't know if you'll even get it because I missed it the best time. The best clip I missed, but, but, but you'll hear it again because it, it was said again. There was another time I missed. But I learned something about these two different people groups coming together that I didn't understand when the evening began. Because I thought it was just like, hey, they're going to be nice and come together. They're going to be nice. They're going to let us come. Some people from Michigan. It's not going to be a big deal. Watch this video. See if you can catch it. So it it's just a day for white people. <laughs> Anybody get it? Thank you very much. Thank he you. says, the old man says, this is a day for white people. Other than the guy that was interpreting, the, the guy, the credible pastor, of the other 75 people that came, not one of them had ever worshipped Jesus Christ together with a white person. Ever. And some of the men, there were a couple of men in there that were in their 70s, if I was judging their age correctly. We were there doing something that for them was impossible to even consider. That white people would come into your home in that part of Lusikisiki on a, what basically is a reservation state. And you'd come from across the world to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and say, we're one and the same in Christ. And that this is the mission of Ephesians 2. Jesus said, I've come to unleash my power through my people so that what? So the whole world will know. So that every nation, tribe, and tongue will come together in Christ and come as one. So everyone will say, Lord, how do I get to be a part of that? I don't have the answer. But the Lord's going to show you. He's going to nudge you along the way. And so, as we drove home that night, every one of us in that room said, this was one of the greatest privileges of our whole life. We got to break down the wall of hostility. We got to live out Ephesians 2. Some of you have had this privilege before. Some of you have done this. It's an amazing experience. But Paul is saying, Jesus came to tear down every barrier, to break every chain, and to be the cornerstone along the way. And then my last thought is this. So where are you in this story? You and I are the living stones, and we're scattered. We're, 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 God is placing us strategically in the building. Don't know which wall you're in. You never thought to be in the Nigerian wall. I never thought I was ever going to come to... I, when I was a kid growing up, I'd say, hey, you know, if I play my cards right, I could end up in Detroit and be there for the rest of my life. If I really, if I really think strategically. You guys are not laughing. That is... I'm telling you, a person from the South, no one wanted to come to Detroit. But Jesus said, no, I've I'm, I'm, got, got a place in the wall in Detroit for you. And I've got a place for you. That, you, you know what I'm saying? And this is the beautiful way that God moves along the way. But in order for him to do this, we've got to break through walls. So go back. Your assignment for tonight is simply do this, and this will be over the course of the next year. Go back and read the Gospels. One time, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just look for the wall breaking. Just look for the wall breaking moments. Maybe just say, I'm just gonna just go through Matthew and I'm just gonna look every time Jesus shatters a wall, just breaks a wall, just smashes through a wall. Because you know what we have here? We have in this room some of the most powerful followers of Jesus Christ. There are anywhere. It's you. 
And we can break walls in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing stopping us. Charles Blackwell can do it. We can do it. We can knock these walls. We can build new walls along the way. And here's what I know. You're already doing it. So just recommit to say, Lord, what's the next wall you want me to attack? Where do you want, where do you want to fit my brick in the wall to, to see the body of Christ continue to be built up? Okay? This, I, I never thought I would hear that in a church service. This is a day for white people. You know what he was saying? This is a day for the walls to come down. This is what Jesus Christ wants to do in our lives all the time. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much. What an amazing experience to just kind of think about what you're doing in the world. And I think about it doesn't really take unbelievable ingenuity or insight. It just takes available people. And as I watch these brothers and sisters here, I watch how they're raising young boys and girls that are going to be your disciples, that even one of these kids could be the tipping point for the, for the work of Christ somewhere in the world. That you would just continue to ignite us with the fact that you're living in us by your Holy Spirit, that your power is at work in us, and that there is no person so far away that you can't make them near, and that there is no challenge that is too great for us when you are living in us and working in us. So just let that be true. I speak that out in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that that would be true in us, that you would make us the breakers of walls, that we would bring you glory by trusting you and living fearlessly to reach into the recesses of the world so that all would know. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, Timmy. <laughs> Thanks, man.